2: Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Monday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. We always are, and I mean that sincerely as we get together every weekday afternoon at this time to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current events through a biblical perspective, and what we hear in church, is it even in the Bible at all? We want to just encourage you to give us a call, 8888-ASK-CSN, it's toll-free, and you can be part of the program today, got some lines open, so you're sure to... Get on if you call right now. Joining me today, a special guest and featured CSN speaker here, we have with us Scott Parker from Calvary
0: Chapel Festus, Crystal City, Missouri. Hi and welcome. Hi, Mike. It's great to be with you here on Monday to start off another week of answering Bible questions. Amen. Look
2: forward to answering some questions with you. It's always a blessing. Mm-hmm. And and with so many things going on in the world, it's nice to know that we have a heavenly a heavenly retirement for us in heaven. And so I, I just look forward to that. And uh yeah, Scott, I'm glad you're with us today. Look forward to answering mm-hmm. some questions with you. And why don't we just go to the phones? We'll we'll get into the show real quickly. Here we have Ron on the line, Prescott, Arizona. I welcome
3: good afternoon, Pastors, uh Mike and Scott. In Proverbs twenty five twenty two it says you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. And the verse before it says, if your enemy is hungry or thirsty, give him a drink. And Paul also quotes this in Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. What does it mean to heap coals of fire upon his head?
0: Okay, your thoughts. That is a great question, Ron. And so there there's a spiritual sense behind it. Because of what you just said, Paul actually quotes Uh, that verse from Proverbs in Romans chapter 12 when he talks about, uh, not taking vengeance on your enemies, but rather, uh, to, to show them love and to, uh, and to leave room for God to be able to defend you and for him, uh, to bring, uh, the justice that's, that's needed and that's actually holy and righteous. Um, so what's interesting is this is an old custom. The the, the coals of fire up on your head uh, was an old custom in ancient times because fire uh, was was very valuable, uh, you know, in ancient times. And so, uh, in a village, what people would do is they would share their fire uh, in case a, a neighbor's fire went out. So they would use fire of course, of course for cooking and also to stay warm. And so here's the point. If if a if a neighbor's fire went out, what would happen is they would come to your house and they would get a bucket of coals, some coals from your fire, and then they would carry it back to their fire. And and uh you know, you read a lot of different historical uh facts about this, and they actually talk about carrying these buckets of of of, of coals uh on their heads, actually, because in ancient times uh people carried a lot of things you know with uh, at one time and they would put things on their head and so what's interesting is they would they would take the coals of fire from their their neighbor who was good uh, good enough to you know and loving enough to give them what they needed to be able to go to restart their own fire. So that's kind of really the the natural point behind uh what is being said there in Proverbs and then later by Paul. But the point Paul is making is it's a spiritual point, and the point is instead of taking vengeance against your neighbors instead of taking vengeance against those who do wrong to you. Paul says rather show them love. And, um, and so when he mentions in that same passage there, he mentions, you know, if they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And, uh, it's like, it's like pouring coals of fire upon their head. Now, when Paul's saying that, he's also saying this. He's not only saying it's the loving thing to do, but he's also saying, that just as, think about it, fires up on your head. He's saying that when you show love to your enemies, it's actually going to bring conviction to their souls. And, you know, it's hard to hate someone who loves you. <laughs> it's it's hard to do wrong to someone who shows you love. And so when we as Christians do what Jesus says, um, and if you remember from Matthew chapter 5 at the end of the chapter, uh in verses 44 and such, Jesus said when it comes to our enemies, he said to love them, uh, to do good to them, uh, to, uh, to pray for them. And there's one more. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. He, he said, love them and pray for them, do good to them. Uh, but the whole point was, uh, Jesus said, do good to your enemies. And, uh, when we do that, then what happens is, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts their heart and can change their heart toward, toward us in that way. So that's kind of what Paul was saying there. And it all goes back to, you know, the Proverbs. So Mike.
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of discussion on this particular uh, thought mm-hmm. process. In fact, even some people have said uh, putting coals of fire on their head, like a in a bucket, uh, they're not going to be swinging at you. They're not going to be trying to hit you because the coals could spill out <laughs> and, of course, burn you as well. Um, yeah. it, you know, so I I believe that that again, it it could have several meanings. Um, but I think the general idea here is to be good to those who are bad to you. I really believe that Jesus said that is what we need to do. He says if you're if you're good to those that are good to you, what reward do you think you have? Even the worldly people do that. So it's when we're good to people that that are abusive and mean. And uh, if we see somebody, as an example, that is thirsty, we give them water to drink. If we see somebody mean, we respond to them in love. Uh, I believe this is the idea of what we are to do and let God deal with it. God's a big God. God knows how to deal with them. Certainly, we see David and Saul, that ongoing um, rally that was going on between them, how God always defended David, and David became the king of Israel, just as Samuel said he would be. So Saul tried to stop it in every way that he could. God's will will be done if we're willing to trust Him and do what He says. I hope that helps. Thank you much, pastors. Well, God bless you, uh, and Ron, uh, say in line. Uh, send you out some books, DVDs, and uh, it's always good to uh, to uh, have you call. Talk to you later, and and um, uh, God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go, to Randy. Aberdeen, South Dakota. Hi, welcome.
1: Hey, how are you doing today? Good. How many? Uh, a couple of days ago, you had a, a fellow on that was talking about a, uh, one of his friends that may have had an out-of-body experience uh, when he was on the operating table. and here, uh, Just a little insight on that. Uh, when, uh, when we're in an operating table, we're in a drug-induced sleep. Uh, however it's a lot like sleep it's a little different It's a little bit less when we sleep and we reach an REM uh, rapid eye movement uh, we depending on how deeply we sleep we can be influenced by outside uh, input in other words something that happens in the room say our alarm clock will fit into the dreams that we have mm-hmm. and we'll fill in with our own mind what uh, how that fits into our dream likewise Uh, I've been on the operating table a couple of times, and one of them was for a heart surgery, and I didn't have a um, – that was pretty deep sleep there. But the other one was for another minor surgery, so I don't think I was so much so far into it. But I definitely do remember input from other things. Out-of-body experience, no, but uh, I uh, I think our minds can – take input from what's happening in the operating room and then fill it in with what we would assume would be happening and i don't that's just one take on it don't get me wrong it's not the take but yeah. that's just one instance one uh, example of what might be happening there and uh but but i really do believe your answer was correct uh uh to be absent from the body is to be present with jesus or in a different spot <laughs>
2: yeah you know. yeah, yeah. amen <laughs> You know it's re- really weird. Uh, Daryl Skinner, who um, uh, pastor Calvary Chapel uh, in Honolulu, or or maybe I should say Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, which is right there, uh, right there by Honolulu, uh, he knows of a person who was on the operating table, died, and they left their body, and uh, when they came back, uh, they w- they were telling that, that they had left their body. And she says there's dolls up on top of your of your cabinet there in the emergency in the in the operating room. Up on top, they have the cabinets where they keep the band-aids and the all the, the medical paraphernalia that they have. And somebody put a couple of dolls up there on top of the shelf. She knew those those were there. She told them that she saw them. No one else knew they were there. And that was a really unusual story that uh, Daryl Skinner told, but um, no i I do believe they they are real. I have a little bit of trouble with people that say, "Oh, I died and went to heaven and I was riding around on a on a dog and i I you know uh, you know sat down and we were you know conversing. Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven, beheld God in his glory. He said it'd be a crime for me try to describe what I saw. Yet we find people today who write these books claiming to have an out-of-body experience going to heaven for a lengthy period of time. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I Again, uh, Paul was caught up to third heaven, beheld God in his glory. He said it'd be a crime for him to try to tell everybody what he saw. I, I've got to probably kind of go along with that. Now we do know There were people in the Bible who died and came back to life. Now, uh, again, not probably going to heaven in this particular case, but certainly going to uh, the comfort side of Sheol. And we remember um, uh, the little girl that died, Jarius' daughter, as well as in the Old Testament, we have Elijah raising a little boy there in 1 Kings 17, it says, their spirit returned to them. It does not say their spirit woke up within them. Thus, the idea of soul sleep is wrong. Now, when we talk about soul sleep as an example, or maybe I should say where the body talks about Stephen and he fell asleep, that's talking about his physical body and the cemetery is full of those bodies. But Paul says again, as you mentioned, Randy, absent in the body present with the Lord, I believe that's really um, uh, important because that's not the only place we find it. Paul says, I'm torn whether to stay here with you, which is far better, or go be with the Lord. Um, uh, He didn't say to lay in a cool grave for a couple thousand years. You don't find that. We remember um, Tabitha uh, in in, uh, uh, Acts 9, I believe it is, where she was brought back to life. Uh, and I, I can just imagine, uh, you know, <laughs> she's in heaven there and enjoying herself, and and uh, then the angels knock on the door and say, you "Got some good news and bad news. <laughs> One good news, you're in heaven, but bad news, you got to go back." And so we remember that as Peter prayed for her, uh, she came back back to life again. And so, you know, I I I. I, I do believe in, in uh, those kind of experiences. I think they're real. I just think we need to be careful because uh, some of the things that we find written are so crazy. Um, there was one guy several years ago from Boise, Idaho, that had some books out. And, you know, he was, uh, you know, um, riding a dog around and just crazy stuff. I, 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 I reject that but i do believe that there are those return from heaven experiences and certainly um dorcas uh, as peter said tabitha arise uh you know that was
0: a real experience your thoughts yeah mike and you know the bible is very clear about this Uh, jesus made it very clear in luke 16 that when an unbeliever dies that they're immediately in hades and they're immediately in a place of torment um, and then, and then Paul taught very clearly in Second Corinthians chapter five. He said, "For believers to be absent from the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, to be to be absent from the body is to be uh, present with the Lord." And the word "present" there means to be at home at. Uh, there's nothing in scripture that talks about a, you know, a, a, a state of, uh, in between or purgatory or any kind of soul sleep, uh, place of non-existence. And you're just kind of like, um, you know, just waiting like soul sleep. The, the Bible teaches none of that. So that's very clear. And Mike, I always think it's interesting too. Um, you know, when these people do write these books and e- even those who claim to be Christians and, and claim to be ministers who write these books about going to heaven, coming back and they tell everything they saw. You know, I'm I'm still yet to see one that is that's completely biblical. Um it's it's pretty amazing. They're very like you said, they're very detailed in, in in what they say they saw and experienced, but yet they're always unbiblical. There's there's always so much of them. Um, you know, there was there was one guy who was a pastor and he he came back and in his book he actually wrote this. He actually said, you know, in heaven they sing no sad songs. And, and he said, and what he meant was this, and he actually wrote this in the book, there are no songs about the death of Jesus or the cross. And I cannot believe that because when you go to Revelation chapter five, when we as raptured believers and resurrected believers are with the Lord, what are we singing about? We're singing about him who was slain and who had redeemed us. Through his blood. I, I mean, you know, so when we do hear those type of things, we really got to take them examine them with the Bible. At one time, there was a little boy, if you remember a while back, who, who wrote a Bible, um, called yeah. Heaven is for Real, or I wrote a book. I'm sorry, not a Bible. I guess it was his Bible. Anyway, wrote a, a book called Heaven's for Real, you know, and he's talking about all these multicolored horses that Jesus is riding and stuff like this. And, but just, just all these things that were just fanciful. And then if I'm not mistaken, somebody did tell me that later on, I guess him and his father kind of recanted for, for some of that, I guess. But again, I think it's interesting that all those things are usually unbiblical. And then on top of that, what do these people do? As, 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 uh, Pastor Mike said, you know, Paul said, I can't even speak about the things I experienced. But yet these people can go and they can write books, make movies, and then go on tours and make more money. (laughs) So really, that's what you got to be careful about. So, Mike. Amen. So I hope that helps.
1: Oh, yeah. I I, I agree with you guys totally. Yeah, And I guess the point is just to really be careful and weigh it against the Bible when we hear those stories.
2: Exactly. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, I hope that helps. And and stay online, Randy. Send you out a couple books, a couple of DVDs, okay? Oh, I'm I'm good. Thank you. All right. Blessings. Talk to you then. Let's go to Todd, Portland, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hello. Last week you said, I asked, uh, or I mentioned that uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, those are titles, not names. And then you said that your dad, I asked if you could find me one person on the planet whose name was Father or Son or
3: Holy Ghost. And you said that your dad's name is Father, well well, that's what I about. call
2: him in a personal relationship. I know there's people that that you know have the f- formality names, but but um, as far as uh, Father, or Son or Holy Spirit being a noun, which is a proper proper noun, yeah, that's a real that's a real title is what I'm saying. It's not it's not an obscure title, it's a real title. and this is how Jesus instructed us to pray. When we pray to uh, God, he said, he said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our father, which art in heaven, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, so you're, you're, you'll agree that those are titles and not names. And then, uh, uh, he was instructed,
3: uh, the disciples, Peter being one of those disciples to baptize in the name of the father, son, Holy ghost.
2: Yeah. In the so name Peter of, baptized. by the way, in the name of, it's not, what is the name? No, when you look at the original language, in the name of means, by the authority of. Uh, you're, let's say you're in a bank. We're in a bank together. And, and some guy comes in and he's got a hood over his, he's got a mask on, probably hiding from COVID, I don't know. But he comes in and he robs the bank. Happens to be a, a plainclothes cop in the bank as well. And as the, as the bank robber's running out the door of the bank, the cop yells out, Stop in the name of the law. Well, what's the name of the law? No, that is not what it's saying. In the name of means by the authority of. We don't, when you say stop in the name of the law, well, what's the name of the law? No, that is not what we're saying. It is by the authority of the law that we are telling him to stop. It's by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We baptize anybody. And so for somebody to say that the name of the Father is Jesus, this is heretical. Again, uh, uh, second, uh, First John chapter 2, verse 22. He that denies the Father and the Son. Look at it in the original language. It's speaking of two separate personages has the spirit of Antichrist. Todd, that is a serious indictment from the beloved disciple, if you deny that there's the, if you deny that there's a heavenly Father and His Son, read it. I didn't make it up. I see. I know all about the oneness doctrine because I was in the oneness doctrine once upon a time. So I know all the little nuances and the way they wrangle scripture to make you believe that. Jesus in the garden praying to his father in heaven. Oh, that was just a placate. That was just an act to show us what to do when we're in trouble. No, that's not. He was praying to his heavenly father and he sweat great drops of blood. That is not play acting. That is not a show. That's the real deal. And all the way through, how do you get around in the beginning? Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It is speaking of plural gods. Now again, when 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 I was uh, around the oneness doctrine, oh, they never show you this kind of stuff. They only show you the things that bring you to the wrong conclusion. But the but the absolute abuse of language. What is the name of the Father? In the name of means, by the authority of, and it's by God's authority we baptize anyone. So we have to go back. Who is this Elohim that's found in Genesis 1.1? The rest of the Bible tells us who the plurality of God is. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Letting us make man in our image, very clear third grade English no way around it and see I understand Todd I know I know because I I I know what what where you're coming from because I was there once but you know what when you really read the entirety of the Bible and you don't listen to see if if a Bible washed up on if you were on an island and a Bible washed up on the shore in a in a waterproof bag and you just start reading you would never come to the conclusions that these people teach whether it be mormonism the jesus only doctrine uh uh, adventistism all these different ideas you would never you have to be taught wrong to come up with those ideas again in the name of means by the authority of again stop in the name of the law. That's the same phraseology, same meaning. It doesn't mean what's the name of the law. It means by the authority of the law. And it's by God's authority we baptize anyone. I hope that sheds a little more light on it for you. Before, uh, 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 you know, Scott, when we we look at this, and and this, this goes back to what's called the Jesus-only doctrine. There is really no Heavenly Father. There is no Holy Spirit. It's just Jesus-only. Never mind all the verses that say, well, that Jesus said I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father and all these kind of verses. Uh, And they try to say, well, when you get to heaven, you're going to see some freakish three-headed thing. No, not at all. Again, very clearly, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Stephen saw him standing as Jesus uh, uh, honoring, I believe, the first martyr of the church, Stephen, uh, there when he was stoned to death. Your, your thoughts, Scott?
0: Yeah, Mike, and I, th- I think at the, at the base of this issue is the question, uh, is God a plurality or is God singular? And what I mean by that is we know this. As Christians, we agree with what the Bible says and with what the Jews would say. There is only one God. That's true. There's one God. But when it comes to God, is he a plurality or is he a singularity? And here's the point. It was the Lord who spoke to Moses and told Moses to tell the people of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, what's interesting, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's called the great Shema. The word Shema means to hear. And what's interesting is that verse is the Jewish... Confession of faith. Okay. Just like as Christians, Matthew 16, Jesus is the son of the living God. That's our confession of faith. The Jews confession of faith is Deuteronomy six four. What's interesting is the word for one there that he's that again, this is the Lord speaking to Moses to speak to the children of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. Now it's interesting that in that verse, the Lord's, the Lord is referenced three times the Lord, which is Yahweh, or the Jews would say Adonai, um, and then your God, the Lord, your God, that would be Eloheinu, and that's the word for your God, and then again uh, with the word Lord. So What's interesting is the word for one there is the Hebrew word akkad, and the word akkad in Hebrew means a unity. It means more than one making up one. And so it does not mean a singular one. It means a one as a plurality. What's interesting is that same word is used by Moses back in Genesis chapter 2 whenever God creates Eve and brings Adam and Eve together. And then the Bible tells us, right? that what happens, it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The word one there is the same word that's used in Deut- Deut- Deuteronomy 6.4. It's a cod. And again, what's it speaking of? Is speak There it's speaking of two making up one, Adam and Eve, man and woman, male and female, husband and wife making up one. It's two people, but they're one. So if we can understand marriage, how two can become one, then we can understand a little bit about the Trinity, how three can become one. And that's, that is the Lord's own words. It's coming straight from Moses. And, you know, to, to be able to take that and, and to make it any different is, is to, is to go against scripture and to do, uh, injustice to the scriptures. And so we have to really understand God has revealed himself as Mike said in Genesis 1:1 as Elohim which again is the word for God but it's the plural word for God. So it's interesting isn't it Mike?
2: Yeah, and we also find it in Isaiah 48 verse uh 48 verse 16 and it says and now the Lord God and his spirit two separate entities have sent me. Again that's uh Isaiah 48 16. Hope that answered it for you. We're coming up on a break. We'll be right back. Let's see, if something
0: costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MetaShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MetaShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MetaShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double 85591 Bible. That's 85591 Bible. 85591 Bible.
4: All of us at CSN want to say thank you for your prayers and financial support in 2022. Because of your generosity, we are able to spread the good word around the world. The gift of hope and salvation through biblical teaching is being broadcasted 24 hours a day on 443 radio stations nationwide and worldwide through online streaming and via the CSN app. You make this possible. As the year comes to an end, would you consider making a special year-end donation? As a 5013C, your gift will be a year-end write-off if given before midnight on December 31st. To help further the work of CSN, please go to csnradio.com slash support or call 1-800-357-4226. That's 1-800-357-4226.
2: you back to part two up to every minute and answer here on this Monday afternoon with Scott Parker from uh, Calvary Chapel of uh, Festus, Missouri. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and uh, we're going to go back to the phones. We have Joy on the line in Montana. Hi, welcome.
3: Hi, thank you.
2: How may we help? Um,
3: Well, my question has to do with um, being able to lose your salvation. In Jude, it says um, he's able to keep you from slipping and falling away and to bring you sinless and perfect into his glorious presence. And there's another scripture, and I couldn't find it, that says uh, who is able to take you out of the palm of God's right hand once you commit yourself to Christ? Jesus won't, the, uh, uh, the angels can't. Um, certain other situations are not able to remove you from the hand of God once you're saved. Now, I've heard it taught, though, you could turn your back on God and walk away from him and therefore lose your salvation. But does that not teach then that you're actually more powerful than God? If God says nothing can take you out of the palm of his hand?
2: But it doesn't say that. Let me let me reiterate what you just said. Let's go back to the last uh, verse there of, uh, of Jude. He who is able to keep you from falling. We both agree to that. The question is, are you willing to let God keep you from falling? Every one of these verses that people quote never include the person's own f- free moral agency, their own will. I don't believe any external force can pluck you out of the hand of God. I don't believe there's there's persecution, trials, things that will take you away from the hand of God. I don't believe it. I, I believe exactly what Jesus thought there in, in uh, John chapter 10. In fact, it's interesting. And no one will pluck you out of my hand. Do you know there's only two places in the Bible where the word no one appears, that no one will pluck you out of my hand. Now, the other place that it appears is also in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I lay my life down, I pick my life up, and here it is, no one takes my life from me. Very clearly in that verse, in John chapter 10, Jesus says no external force can do that. He said, I'm the one that lays my life down, I'm the one that picks it up again. I believe there is no external force that will remove you from the presence of God. I don't believe that. I do believe, though, as Paul concerning Demas writing in 2 Timothy, after bragging about Demas in 1 Timothy, he said this, And Demas, having loved this present world, has departed. There's no other way around that. I mean, oh yeah, he's still saved, he's still going to heaven. It doesn't say that. In fact, it even gets more pointed. When we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, do not be deceived. I think there's been a lot of deception in this area taught by people who refuse to read the book of James, that refused to read the book of Jude, that refused to listen to the words that Jesus spoke in in Revelations chapter two and three, when he says that there, he said, don't be deceived. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to a brothel or a bar or some uh, you know group of sinners someplace. <laughs> He's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, do not be deceived. I would say the same thing to our nation and the world. Do not be deceived. He says those that practice such lifestyles, practice is the word there, that means a repetitive, unrepented state of staying in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that obviously does not mean what it says, I would love somebody that that to explain that, what that means. How do you wrangle that? How do you change that when simple third grade English will tell you exactly what it's saying? So what, I, what I'm saying, uh, Joey, is I don't believe there's any external force that will remove us from the hand of God. But every one of these verses, he's able to keep you from falling are you willing? He's able. It doesn't says since you can't fall away, it doesn't say that. It says he's able, but are we willing to let him keep us from falling? Otherwise, really the whole New Testament, other than John 3.16, is a joke and should be done away with. Oh yes, I said that. Why is that? Because once you're saved, it doesn't matter how you live your life. Why do we even have any compelling from Paul or Jesus or anybody else to clean up your lifestyle? Why does Jesus say, watch and be ready? You don't know what hour your Lord is going to come. If it doesn't make any difference, where does Jesus get off telling us to watch and be ready? Since once saved, always saved. So no, I think there's a lot of real serious problems. Now, let me play this on the other side for just a minute. I don't believe that we sneeze and, and we lose our salvation. In fact, I don't believe we ever lose our salvation. I believe we leave our salvation. If I lose something, I don't know where it is. If I lose my car keys, I could spend a week looking for them, and I actually have and never did find them. But if I leave my car keys on the table, I know where they are. I've just chosen not to pick them up. The Bible all the way through talks about and uses this exact word backsliding. Old Testament, we find it repetitively concerning the nation of Israel who once served Yahweh and then got into idolatry. We know that God destroyed the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt as the book of James or Jude says because they failed to continue in faith. Now, When somebody says something like, well, if I could lose it, I would, that's not a Bible verse and that should be thrown out because that's not even remotely scripture. What the Bible says is when we stop to think, and I think really, Joy, this is the real issue, what do we think heaven is? If we know it's a place where Jesus is worshiped forever, the Father's worshiped, We see the the Holy Spirit, all the things that God is doing in heaven, a place of an everlasting worship service, it's going to be great. Can't wait to go. But if you talk to a person that doesn't want to be around God's people, doesn't want to go to church, doesn't want to praise God, would rather just be shacked up with their lover... Uh, And yet they call themselves a Christian and maybe they even let people to the Lord. They had real fruit in their life. I'm not denying they're not saved or weren't saved. But the Bible says that again, if we do not, if, if you died and went to heaven, would you be at home there? Because heaven is a place where God's will is done forever. If you don't want to do God's will here on this earth, whether you call yourself a Christian, worldly person, backslidden Christian, whatever you want to call it, if you don't want to do God's will here on this earth, why would you want to do it forever in eternity? So I think the real question, more than losing salvation or leaving your salvation, I really believe it has to do more with, if you died today, would you be at home in heaven? Because if you think heaven's an everlasting kegger at a city park, man, with my old dog blue in the back of my pickup truck. Yeah, man, heaven's going to be cool. I'll be up there with all my drunk buddies. Man, it's going to be great. You see, the problem is you don't have a right, they don't have a right concept of heaven. When somebody dies, it seals you in the condition you're in. If you don't want to do God's will down here on this earth, you ain't gonna to want to do it throughout all of eternity. And so when I see books and like I tell people, the book of Jude addresses this exact topic. There's no other there's no other explanation for it. He's able to keep us. Are we willing to let him? Your thoughts, Scott.
0: Yeah, and you know, there is this tension in scripture, isn't there? I mean, we, we have, we, we read it and when we read it, we feel it. And down throughout the centuries, uh, since the history of the church, you know, throughout the history of the church, since the inception of the church, um, you know, we've, we've, we've argued it (laughs) and gone back and forth. Um, but, you know, when you read the scriptures, you will see, for instance, when it comes to this issue of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, um, you know, there's Christians on both sides of that very strong. But here's the point, you know, does the Bible teach um, that God chooses us and that he chooses us before the foundation of the world and that and and that, um, you know, it, it's through his sovereign act that we're saved um, that it takes the Holy Spirit uh, convicting us and drawing us to, to God or we would never come to him. Yes, that's true. But then at the same time, the Bible also makes it very clear that God in his sovereignty has given to us the freedom to choose and has given us free will. Uh, that's why we have all those I wills in the New Testament uh, or I'm sorry, the whosoever wills in the new Testament, um, where, you know, whosoever can come and drink of the water of life freely, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, so there's this tension, uh, between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Well, which one's right? They're both right. They're both correct. And they can be both correct at the same time. The problem is a lot of times we see these, this tension and we think we have to choose, uh, there's also scriptures that do speak very clearly. And, and Joey, these are the ones that you're bringing up right now, are the ones that, that speak very clearly of the assurance of the security of the believer. And I, you know what? They're in the scripture and they're true. And I thank God that they're true. But, at the same time, there are also plenty of New Testament scriptures that talk about the responsibility of the believer once he has truly received salvation, then here is his responsibility as a child of God uh, in living in this world and and with those responsibilities comes. Again, through our free will, that ability that if we choose not to follow the Lord, you know what? We can walk away from our salvation. As Mike said, I do not believe one, in one iota that, that we just lose our salvation. But I do believe that through our own neglect, uh, of our relationship with the Lord, through neglecting to abide in Christ on a daily basis through loving the world. Uh, There's so many things that can come in and steal our love for Jesus to where we don't even want to walk with him anymore. And if we don't want to walk with him on earth, then he's not going to make us go to heaven. It's very plain. So there's a lot of scriptures that speak of the responsibility of the believer. In fact, they're in Jude, chapter. you know, of course there's only one chapter, right? But they're in Jude in verse 21, right before, uh, what you quoted in verse 24. Uh, let me give it to you from verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, but you beloved, it says, building up yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then it says this in verse 21, keep yourselves In the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into into eternal life. Keep ourselves in the love of God. What that means is to keep ourselves in that place where we are are under the only covering that can save us. And and, and that that is talking about abiding in Christ and, and, and staying in the Lord, remaining in him once we've come to him. Uh And that is our responsibility. When those words there, keep yourselves, that's an imperative. That is that is actually a command that Jude is giving believers he's writing to. And in, a, in the Bible, when there's an imperative like that, to not do it is a sin. So, you know, we have to understand, you know, before coming, uh, before verse 24 comes, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless. Okay, that's all true. But before that, it's, hey, keep yourselves in the love of God. And you see this sort of thing all through the New Testament. Um, I will leave you with one other scripture that I just think is interesting. There was one ministry partner that Paul had by the name of Demas. And, uh, you know, he, he, he worked and served with the early church and, and worked with Paul. But in 2 Timothy 4 10, Paul actually said this. He said, for Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world. Now here's what's interesting. When you go over to, uh, first John chapter two, John says to love not the world, neither the things in the world. Cause if any man loves the world, then the love of the father's not in him. Demas lost his love for God and was shipwrecked in his faith because he allowed his love for the world to replace his love for God. And, uh, that's, that's a, that's a warning to us as believers, uh, that, that we can, instead of keeping ourselves in the love of God, we can remove ourselves from the love of God. Again, just as Mike said, no external force is going to do it. Paul made that clear in Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. You know, when it comes to external forces, but we still have that free will to do what we want to do. And, uh, you know, if we don't watch over our hearts and watch over our relationship with the Lord, uh, it can happen very easily. And uh, I've seen it personally. In my years of being a Christian and being a pastor, I've seen it many, many times. Pastor Mike? Hope that helps, there.
3: It does. I have one more question though, sure. on that same thing. Um, Does it not also say that once you are walk, do walk with God, and you walk away, it's impossible for you to come back because it's like crucifying Christ all over again?
2: Well, I believe, dear, that everybody in their course of a lifetime in their relationship with Christ have gotten their feelings hurt. God didn't, I prayed, and God didn't do it my way, and I'm mad at God, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit works on us, and it's. Well, I, I, we're not talking about that. I, I believe what we're talking about in, in is where a person who knows God over a period of, of, of a lifetime, I don't believe this is something that just happens overnight. <clears throat> I believe this is where the Holy Spirit working with a person refuses that call to repent and dies in their sin. I believe that's a very serious place to be. Again, the prodigal son, if he died in the pigsty, he'd still be in the pigsty. It's only when he decided to come back to his father was he restored. The father, uh, I believe, says look for him a long way off. Says he saw him a long way off. That tells me he was looking for him. And he was prepared for him when he came home because he had a robe and a ring and shoes for his feet. He came home in his fruit of the looms. He He was destitute, but he came home. That's what I'm saying. For anyone, don't. Die in the pigsty. That is so important, I believe. Jesus, again, in Revelation chapter 3 and also Revelation 22, talks about getting your name blotted out of the book of life. Hey, I don't want it. Well, everybody's name's in the book of life. Where, where do you find that? There's no <laughs> verse anywhere in the Bible that says that. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite, and that's found in Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8 the Lamb's book of life, as well as the book of life, which I believe are the same thing. When you really look at it, those two verses really indicate that. But whatever and however you got your name in the book of life, it's going to get blotted out if you you don't repent. That's what Jesus said. And if you change the words in the book of Revelation, take away, God will take away your name from the book of life. Hey, well, everybody's name's in the book of life. Oh, so original sin is not real. Um, we sin, and that's what makes us a sinner. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're not redeemed until we ask to be redeemed. That's what our name is written in the book of life. So I really believe, and by the way, book of life, uh, uh, Lamb's book of life, Revelation 17, um, 17, uh, 8, 13, 8, they use, they, they mix them interchangeably, it appears there and so i don't think that's that's so much but again jesus when he's talking about i am the vine you're the branches if you abide in me you'll bear much fruit again that's conditional again i don't he who's able to keep me from falling i thank god for that um but are we willing to let god keep us from falling joey hope that helps stay online. line we'll send you out some books some dvds okay Thank you. God bless you, dear. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Nick. Carson City, hi, welcome.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my calls, Pastor. Yeah. Um, my question is, I was uh, watching this video about uh, Ron Wyatt, and he had claimed that uh, he had found the Ark of the Covenant buried in Jerusalem, below the location where Jesus was crucified. And so it gave rise to my question, um, going back to Hebrews 9, it talks about the things in the earthly temple are copies of the heavenly things and um so i wondered if the ark of the covenant on earth uh and in revelation eleven nineteen, it says john saw the ark in heaven now are there two ark of the covenants
2: This is a good question, and and I know uh, many people have wondered about it. Some people believe that it perhaps was Jeremiah who buried it in the catacombs underneath the Temple Mount. Some people believe that it was carried off into Ethiopia. Some people believe that it is, has, or will be caught up uh, to heaven, as you just mentioned there in Revelation. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think it's very clear that the book of Hebrews says – that everything that God showed Moses uh, to make, to put into the tabernacle originally, um, was to be made after the pattern of the things that God had shown him. And then, of course, the, book, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that um, that. Uh, that the heavenlies is is the real tabernacle, uh, where God dwells where he lives, where his presence is at, that is the real tabernacle, and everything on earth is is just a pattern or, or as it says like you said, a copy of what 's in heaven. So I've wondered, you know, I've also wondered this too. I I don't know. I don't really understand why there would be any reason for the Lord somehow to supernaturally take the Ark of the Covenant from the earth and to take it to heaven. I really believe what we're reading there in Revelation 11 is the true Ark of the Covenant, which the Ark of the Covenant was, it was a physical representation of the throne of God in heaven. Uh, that's exactly what it is because it was there at that place, uh, when the high priest on the day of atonement would offer the blood up on the mercy seat that then God's glory and his presence would come down and fellowship with the priest right there. So we do know from, from looking at the Ark of the Covenant, looking at the scriptures um the way it's made and such that it is a representation of God's throne in heaven so you know to say the one in heaven is the one that was on earth i i don't think you can say that but we can definitely say that in heaven um where god dwells that it 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 is the, the physical tabernacle was a representation of that so um, so where God dwells, where he sits, his throne, that is the Ark of the Covenant, where, where Jesus is seated, as Mike said earlier, on the right hand of God. You know what? That is our mercy seat. Uh, he's right there, uh, with, with God on his throne. So, uh, I think that would be the safest way to look at it. Mike. Amen. Hope that helps, Nick. Great answer. Thank you so much.
2: God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's, uh, uh, um, stay in the line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Let's go to Frank in california i welcome i am brother mike Hi, Hi. mike yeah i have a request my sister has just started with parkinson's oh no. and she's gotten sick she was in the hospital
3: and uh, i told her we i would pray we would i would call you and and pray for her please and, well uh, we
2: certainly will and and uh um it, it's always hard is, is she a believer Oh, yes. Okay, well, let's let's just pray. Let's just go to the Lord, okay? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, Father who heals, would you extend your hand of healing to this daughter of yours, that, God, you would give the doctor's wisdom, that you would touch her body, that you would heal her, and, Lord, that you would reverse this most nerve-damaging disease, God. We ask you that you would uh, reach your hand out and lord i thank you for her family that's concerned for her as well may you bless them but lord may you do something wonderful in her life your word says to agree touching any one thing you'll do it and so lord we just come to you asking not demanding just saying lord please heal your daughter in jesus name amen amen frank our prayers are with you stay online we'll send you out some books some dvds i'm sure she'll like to uh, watch and enjoy Thank you. Uh God bless you, Frank. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Betsy in Boise, Idaho. Hi, welcome.
4: Hi.
3: Um, My question is in John 20, verse 17, and Mary has gone to the tomb, and Jesus says to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mm -hmm. And then later in John 20, Uh, verse 27. Uh, It's like eight days later. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my Mm. hands, put your hand into the wound in my side. So um, we know that
2: we're almost out of time, dear. What is that? Well, first of all, I believe when she saw Jesus rose from the dead, I bet you she put a hug on him that was squeezing the stuffings out of him. And I think Jesus was simply saying, Mary, don't hug me like this. I've not yet ascended to my father in heaven. I'm still here. Uh, she, I think, put a hug on him that was never going to let go. Um, But he said, look, I've not ascended to my father yet. That was the uh, implication. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah. And, you know, also, too, because of what Hebrews uh, chapter 9 tells us, uh some believe that Jesus actually... Now, though the Bible doesn't tell us this, they believe that Jesus might have ascended to heaven and presented the blood before the Lord, his sacrifice before the Lord, and then this all happened afterwards. It's an interesting thought, though.
2: Mike? Yeah, no, I, I always took it that... Uh... Uh, she just was so amazed that he was alive, or, and, and she just put a, a and, and so it's not a, a negative thing that Jesus was saying; it was an assurance thing that Jesus said. Thanks, Scott, for being on Stand line, Betsy. Bye, bye. more
0: about this ministry
1: or to receive a copy of today's program, please call one 4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, PO Box three nine one, Twin
0: Falls, Idaho eight three three zero three. That toll free number is one eight hundred.